<clears throat> Have you ever thought that things didn't turn out quite like you thought they were going to be? Remember when you were um, in first grade and you were somewhat excited about going to first grade because your, your parents told you that big boys and big girls go to first grade and you'll be a big boy and a big girl if you go to first grade. So you went thinking, well, something big's going to happen. And then they just transformed you into a societal robot. You learned how to walk straight in line to the cafeteria and where to put your boots and where to put your jacket and how to raise your hand and keep your mouth shut. And you thought, this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. Um, or you went to your first school dance and everybody said, well, it's your first dance and this is so important. And you go there and it was just boys on one side and girls on the other side standing staring awkwardly with nobody dancing, and you thought, this doesn't seem like it was what I was told. Or when you went to college, you know, and you went there with that idea that, oh, this is going to be the best of times, because people say, oh, man, when you go to college, you're away from your parents, and it's just a great time, and, and all it turned out to be was long nights and expensive loans. Or, or when you got your first job, and you thought to yourself, this is it. This is my first job. I'm going to make big money to drive my big car, to live in my big house, and go on my big vacations. And somehow your boss didn't see it quite that way because the big money wasn't as big and the hours were longer than you thought they were going to be. Or when you got married and you thought, this is the one who is going to fill my life with eternal bliss, who will hang on every word and meet every need. <laughs> yes, it was, for the record. And you find that maybe they left a bigger footprint in your life than you expected. And of course, your kids, because they were just going to be the vessels of of the love and joy overflowing from the marriage that you didn't have room for, that you could pour into them, that they would come back and bless you with greater peace and purpose in life. Anyways, um, so many things in life, when we look back, we think, that's not quite what I thought it was going to be. Think about your faith. That idea that when I come to Christ, it's all going to be good. When I come to Christ, I am going to be free of conflict and filled with comfort that I am going to have peace and joy and love and everything's going to go well. But all of a sudden, we find that our vision becomes interruption. That somehow there's some misdirection that goes on and it's not quite what we thought it would be. And it's because like in all the other things, we got bad information. We 
went off in the wrong direction. When we started our study on the Beatitudes, we started it because we wanted to correct some misinformation. The information that tells us at the beginning of the year that we are to go out and have a happy new year. But we know that life isn't like that. That happy is, is something hard to pin down and it never seems to be what we thought it would be. And so we looked at what the Bible calls us to have. Not a happy new year, but a blessed life. And so we turned our directions to the Beatitudes. Because the Beatitudes help us. They point us in the direction of what it means to have a blessed life. They point us in the direction and clean up the miscommunication of what Christianity means. Because the bottom line of Christianity is this. Christianity is about becoming like Christ. Christianity is about becoming like Christ. That's why the study of the Beatitudes is so important. That's why one of the first major sermons that we hear in the Bible, in the New Testament, that we hear from Jesus is about becoming like him. Because that's what Christianity is about. It is about the joy of having Jesus. It's about God's favor upon us, not us being happy. Um, When we go through the Beatitudes, Jesus begins to tell us what it means to become like him. What it means to have the pearl that is of greatest value and price in this world. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand that they are poor in spirit. Secondly, he talks about blessed are those who mourn. Not only do they realize that they're lacking something in their spirit, that, that, that there's sin that keeps interrupting their lives and making a mess of it, but blessed are those who actually mourn about it. They, they grieve it. They care about it. They don't just know there's something wrong, but it, it impacts them. And then he said, blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. The meek are those who, who now become humbled, who aren't looking for their glory anymore because they know it's fleeting and it doesn't last, and they know it'll just leave them disappointed. And then he goes on to say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, blessed are those who now change their direction. They don't want the things of this world because they've learned it's all broken promises. They want the righteousness of God. They want to be right with God. They want to feel God's pleasure upon them and they want to bless God by what they do. He goes on and says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who are like Jesus, who show mercy, who bring in their hearts the word of Jesus when he said, love your enemies. And then Jesus takes another step and he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who, 
whose motivation becomes single-hearted, single-minded, that it washes away all of the junk. I remember one time talking to Warren Worsby, who a great, great pastor, great writer, has written more commentaries than anybody I know. And, um, and I was telling about just, you know, some of the things that I was struggling with when I first got in ministry that, you know, you know I, I thought, you know, I, I still wanted to do and hang on to and everything else and, and felt guilty about. And he said to me, don't worry about that. He said, God will take it away when it's time. And it's true he did because he changes your wants. He makes your heart different. And then Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be called the children of God. Blessed are those who go out into the world and all they want to do is reconcile the world to the love and peace in Jesus Christ. It sounds good. Each step brings us closer to becoming more like Jesus. And then he says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Oh, hold the phone. What? That doesn't sound like cloud surfing, rising above the problems of life and having the best in all things. The last beatitude that we're going to look at is probably one of the most important. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Not persecuted because they're nasty and mean and steal and God. No. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Because of doing the right things. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now it gets personal. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, nobody came to Christ because they thought, I'd really like to be persecuted. I would like to be. The word persecuted means to be chased and harassed. Nobody signs up for that. But how did we miss that? See, when we came to Christ, we, we heard God loves us. I don't know about you. I love anybody who loves me. And God will save us. And God will do something powerful in us. And so we jumped on that. And rightfully so. We wanted our sins forgiven. We wanted to be right before God. But here comes the problem. In the midst of that, we thought, if I do this, the world will get better. My life will get better. And so it'll be life abundant on speed. Because we, we, we live in this kind of cognitive dissonance. We live in a world 
that promises to us, that says to us, love is good and peace is good and community and unity and tolerance and this is what we're all about. And we think, well, I want, I, I want that. The problem is, while it, that goes on and that's the promise of the world, what the world really promotes is greed and violence and passion unchallenged. What the world really sells to us is a life of dependency and depravity. And so it says, yeah, we want all these good things where we just join hands and we take care of each other and sing Kumbaya, and yet, to help promote that, we're going to sell you guns, and we're going to show you violent videos, and we're going to get you hooked on video games, and on drugs, and on perversion, and that somehow, the two are going to come together. And see, that becomes the big lie. It's, it's what I call the big cover-up. The world promises or endorses one thing, but, but it provides something else. Listen to the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I had, a, I had a seminary professor who, every time I, I read this verse, I think of Gabe Facker. Gabe Facker was a, just a wonderful guy, very meek and mild. And he marched with King um, and, and Mobile, and he camped out in Selma in tents when literally bullets were flying by. And, and Gabe would always talk about the powers and principalities of this world. That Satan is behind the picture promising and promoting one thing but then providing another leaving us confused and looking to this world for something that it, it's not going to give us and so the issue is this we live in a world that is a cover up on the outside, promoting what looks good, but underneath, providing and endorsing what's evil. And so here's what happens. We give our lives to Jesus. And Jesus' goal for us is to become like him. I want you to think about that. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Persecuted for what? For righteousness sake, for doing what God wants. Because what God wants is not what this world wants. Here's the deal. Transformation causes disruption, which causes persecution. You see, the minute we come to Christ and we become more like him, 
poor in spirit because we know we're not him, but we seek him and we mourn and we become meek and we look for righteousness and we're merciful and we try to be pure in heart and we try to be peacemakers, reconciling the world. Guess what happens? The world becomes disturbed by you. The world says, wait a minute, what are you doing? Do you ever, um, oh gosh, I can't, uh, can't remember the movie, doggone it. Um, ah, is it, yeah, never mind. Imagine walking in a circle. You know, you're walking in a circle around, around this big stone. And you're walking and walking, and everybody's supposed to walk in a certain direction, right? And then all of a sudden, someone says, you know, don't do that. Walk in the opposite direction. That's going to cause what? Friction, isn't it? Transformation causes disruption, and disruption causes persecution because people don't like it. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who came speaking love and truth and peace, seeking to take away people's sin. The world hated him. Why? Because the transformation he was bringing was a disruption. And so they crucified him. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. You do not belong to the world. You do not belong to the powers and principalities of this dark world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Think about that. What, what, is, what is the purpose of Christianity? To become like Christ. But to become like Christ means transformation that is disruption in this world. And this world fights against being disturbed. And yet, what does Jesus say? He says, rejoice and be glad. When this world persecutes you and insults you and says all kinds of things against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Okay, now wait a minute. When I first came to Christ, I came because I thought I would live a life less conflict, more comfort, you know, uh, more popular, more prosperous, that, that I would live a life of spiritual cloud surfing where me and God, we are just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to travel with him and he's going to bless me because everything he has is mine and no, no. I bought into the wrong information. 
See, the real deal was this. If you become my follower, I'll make you like me. What's the reward to be like Jesus? Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Well, what's my reward in heaven? Jesus. He's my reward. He's in heaven, but he's my reward in heaven, not just for later, but for now, because he's with me, because Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. See, here's the deal. When you look at the Beatitudes, they end in persecution. And that is a disruption to our spirit because that's not what we signed up for. How many of you signed up for persecution? Yeah, but you did. Well, that's pretty depressing. You want your money back, right? I mean, what is this a, a, a religion of self-destruction? No, it's a religion of transformation, of becoming not like this world, but like Jesus. Now, where's the hope for now in this? Very simply. In this world you will have trouble, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. Even in the midst of persecution, if you become like Jesus, you'll become an overcomer. You'll become a victory over the a victor over the powers and principalities of this dark world. And that's powerful. You'll become a victor even in the face of persecution. Remember Stephen? When Stephen was stoned? And as they were stoning him, he just rolled in a ball and cried and, and blood said, no. As they were stoning him, he looked up and he saw Jesus. He didn't even feel it. Look at Peter. They went to crucify him at the end of his life. And what did he do? Recant? Beg for mercy? No, he said, crucify me upside down. I won't be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. A Romanian pastor who was imprisoned for his faith and who was beaten and tortured to the point that they would take him in and, and just cut out little chunks of his flesh beat him and then throw him back in his cell. And then he would muster all the strength and power he could and he would just dance and rejoice before God. Because in persecution, there's the power of the resurrection. And we see that power and the persecution of our lives. You know what? Some of you may never be imprisoned. Some of you may never be tortured. 
Maybe, maybe it will be a promotion you won't get because your bosses aren't comfortable with your ethics and your unwillingness to lie and cheat a little bit. Maybe it'll be you're a college student and you won't just mimic what others say, but you'll speak the truth and you'll get a bad grade for it. Maybe you'll miss out on jobs because they know who you are. Maybe a spouse will leave you because they've had enough of this Jesus freak stuff. Maybe your parents or your siblings will cut you off. Maybe it'll just be people gossiping behind you at work and calling you a holy roller. And Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. For when they do these things, just remember, your reward is Jesus, who is in heaven and who is with you now. Rejoice and be glad because he overcomes the world. Rejoice and be glad because you know you're becoming more like him and less like you. And that was always the deal. The deal was always your transformation, not a vacation. The deal was always that that he would grow you and he would strengthen you. And his love would become powerful and abundant and abounding in you and would reach out and transform the world around you. You know, when Jesus said, if they did these things to you, if they did these things to me, how much more will they do to you? We should be asking ourselves at times this question, why am I not persecuted? Why aren't people irritated with me besides just me being me, but me being Jesus? Maybe it's because when we're at work and, and someone's mocking our faith, we just kind of sheepishly smile and don't say anything. Maybe it's because when the right moments come where we could really speak life and truth to someone, we don't because we don't want to be one of those people. Maybe it's because we'll never knock on anyone's door or speak into anyone's life how much they need Jesus. Maybe because we're not willing to say that the powers and principalities of this world are just wrong. I'm probably get in trouble. I, I'm going to say it. I don't like what we see in our election phase this, this time around. I don't like the candidates. I don't like Donald Trump, who spent two years getting mad with Rosie O'Donnell is now mad at the Pope. I don't like people who insult women. And, and, and I don't like women who encourage others to have abortions. 
I don't like people who, who spread hatred towards our neighbors. It all represents the powers and principalities of this dark, damned world. And we think we're going to find a Messiah and a politician. This is not our home, people. And if you're looking for a politician to save you, then you're in bigger trouble than you know. The story of this world is it ends badly. The story of God's people is it continues wonderfully. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? Because Jesus is emanating through them. They will suffer pain for Christ. They will suffer indignities and insults and and distress and discomfort. They will discipline themselves to not do what this world keeps tempting them to do. They will hang in there with their loved ones even though they want to check out. They will have their family members call them nuts and make in front of them. And Jesus says, blessed are you. Because in that disruption of the world is your transformation. And even if it leads to persecution, fear not, for I am with you. When, when I was at the State House and I was there for Linda's award and she's going to get all upset that I bring this up, but and knowing what I was preaching, I just thought, of course. But the real reward isn't from the governor. It's from God. Our real reward is from God. And you know what our reward is? It's Jesus. The goal of Christianity is for you to become more like Jesus so that if that means you leave here broke because you gave to the poor and you're homeless, rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven, which is Jesus who intercedes for you on earth. because God takes care of his people. We are so afraid of pain, aren't we? Do you know what what narcissism is? It is extreme self-protection and self-absorption. I don't want to feel any pain, so I become absorbed with myself and taking care of myself. And the more absorbed I become, the more self-protective I become, and the more self-protective, the more self-absorbed. And my God, the less like Jesus. 
And there are times I'll sit with people who go by the name of Christ, but they're so far from it because all they want is their pleasure. All they, all they want is to prosper. All they want is the good things of this world. They don't want Jesus. They just want him to help them get it. And he ain't interested. Christianity is a gift of Christ that you might become transformed from this world and you might represent him and his kingdom in this world. I want you to think about that. So the next time something goes bad because you did something good and you think, oh, you know, this isn't good and poor me and this isn't right and I didn't sign up for this. Oh yeah, you did. And it is right if you really understand. And it's okay. Don't think for a second when you're being persecuted for doing what is right and good before God, that God doesn't see you and that God doesn't take care of you. We are so earthbound, aren't we? We fear death, why? Because we'll die and go to heaven and be with Jesus. What? But we do, don't we? Self-protection, it's made us self-absorbed. We have to stop caring about whether we'll be okay in the future. And just look forward to being like Jesus every day as we approach it. Let's join our hearts in prayer.